All right, so there was a little bit of confusion last class. Not confusion, but um, between the various slides, uh, it's not quite clear exactly how many protons get pumped across at the various stages stage of the electron transport chain. So I thought I'd, I sat down with a pen and paper and I kind of went through it and I think I've got a better understanding of it now. Um, there are no places where the slides are wrong. It's just a matter of keeping track of what's happening on each slide because what's shown on various slides can be different based on what they're trying to get across. Um, what's in red is effectively the, the, pro, the protons that get pumped, okay, or at least get transported. Um, at complex one, so this is, we're doing a ADH, right? So obviously if we were doing FADH2, we'd be coming in here. But for NADH, for complex one, you've got four protons that get pumped across, and two get that put onto coenzyme Q. Right? Those two that get put onto coenzyme Q at complex one only cross the membrane at complex three. Right? So for the two that get put on the QH2 at complex one, those two get put across at complex three. And if you remember in the Q cycle, there's a second QH2 that gets used. Now you regenerate a QH2 in complex three. But the important thing to bear in mind is that whenever you're regenerating QH2 or making QH2, you're taking protons from the matrix side and moving them over to the, to the inner membrane space side. Okay? So even though you're regenerating a QH2, you took a QH2 and then you broke it down and then you made another QH2 again, that cycle is basically moving protons across the membrane. And so at complex three, you get four protons pumped across. Two of them were put on QH2 in complex one, and two of them were put on QH2 in complex three. Okay, so that's kind of the way it's drawn here. So I find that if you're, if you're interested in counting protons, and I typically don't ask these types of questions, but at least in some, but if you're interested, then this is kind of a better way to show it. And then if you remember, the other thing that gets confusing a little bit is on complex four, there were four protons that got pumped across on the slide where we covered complex four, right? I believe that the reason that they show that on complex four for that slide is because they want to do it with an integral number of molecules, right? Um, this is drawn here per NADH. Per NADH, remember there's two electrons that come off of NADH, right? And so those two electrons off of NADH are going to go through complex four and go on half an oxygen molecule to make a water. But there's not really such a thing as half an oxygen molecule, half a gaseous oxygen, half an O2. You don't really work in half O2s, you work in O2s. And so I think on that complex four slide, they had one O2 right, which would become two waters, and for 102 becoming two waters, you would pump across four protons, but that would be the protons for two NADHs, okay? So to kind of keep all the math similar on this slide at least, they, uh, they, they do it per NADH, and per NADH you're effectively reducing a half a gas, gaseous, gaseous oxygen, half an O2, okay, 
to make one water. And so the sum that comes across per NADH is, is 10. That's my understanding of it. That's what, I'm going, that's what I'm going with, unless someone points out something wrong to me, at which point I'll get back to you. Okay. So that's not even what today's class is about. Today we're talking about fatty acids. So fatty acids are good, right? You think fat is bad, but fat's great. Fat's really good for you. Well, I mean, it's, it's better than, well, why is it good? Well, uh, we actually store very little of our energy in the body as glucose or glycogen, right? We store the rest as fat. Well, it's just more efficient, right? We talked a lot about how we extract energy from glucose to make ATP. Well, if we're going to store it, right, um, is it better to store it as glucose or is it better to store it as fat? Fats are much more reduced than, than, than sugars, right? We talked about how bonds to hydrogen are more reduced than bonds to oxygen. A fat has, it's basically completely carbon to hydrogen, whereas a sugar, some bonds to hydrogen, some bonds to oxygen. So you store about 38 kilojoules of energy per gram of fat, but only 16 kilojoules of energy per gram for sugar. So what that works out to is if we stored 98% of our energy as sugar, instead of 90% of our energy as fat, a 154-pound person would have to be a 360-pound person to store the same amount of energy. So we're much more efficient storing energy as fat compared to sugar. So, so when we say fat's bad, I mean, I guess dietarily speaking, it, it is to have too much, but you would much rather be storing your stuff as your energy as fat than as sugar. So when I talk about fats, what do I mean, right? So these are, uh, this is what a fatty acid looks like. Okay? We store fats as, as fatty acids. That is, a long hydrocarbon chain, and whenever we just draw these, I think you've covered this in chemistry, whenever you just draw these lines, these are carbons that have hydrogens on them, right? If there's an oxygen on it, then that'll typically be shown. So you have this long hydrocarbon chain with the carboxylic acid group on the end, right? That's what we call a fatty acid. So fatty acids, these are the monomers of fats, similar to Proteins, amino acids become proteins, and monosaccharides become polysaccharides. Fatty acids are the monomer of, of how we store fats. Okay? These are amphiphilic. We've talked about that term already. So you've got basically a very hydrophobic bit and a very hydrophilic bit. Right? And they can be in kind of two types. Uh, saturated fatty acids in which the maximum number of hydrogens are bound per carbon. That is, there are no double bonds in here. Or unsaturated fatty acids, in which you get a double bond in here. Okay? So basically, you've got a couple less hydrogens that are bound in the equivalent um, unsaturated fatty acid with one double bond in it, compared to the, relative, the, the equivalent saturated fatty acid. Right? And whenever you get a double bond in your fatty acid, that you can get this kink in kind of the um, shape of the chain, right? And so that's kind of shown here in this kind of space filling model. Um, 
unsaturated fatty acids come in kind of two types, and it depends on the orientation of the carbons around the double bond. We've talked about how double bonds are resistant to rotation. So this would be the uh, arrangement of a cis um, unsaturated fatty acid or versus a trans unsaturated fatty acid. And you probably have come across this already when you're looking at your nutrition label on your Doritos. They talk about trans fat. Right? Trans fats are bad, or at least they're worse for you than cis ones. In general, it's good to have unsaturated fats in your diet versus saturated fats. And if you're going to have unsaturated fats, uh, you want to avoid the trans fats. And a lot of um, food companies are paying attention to this now. It used to be that Oreos had, were full of trans fats, and that's partly why they tasted so good. But now, now they're trying to get rid of that, which is good or bad, depending on how you think of it. So uh, we want to, obviously this is not something I want you to memorize, but there's a couple points I want to make on it, okay? Um, each fatty acid has a, a common name. There's a systematic name that is not really used, right? Uh, typically we use the common name. Uh, the most common fatty acid that we come across, saturated, is palmitic acid or palmitate, okay? And you may see that on an ingredient list. Um, palmitic acid and stearic acid are the common ones, at least in, in our bodies and in our diets. The other ones are rare. The difference between palmitate and stearate, or palmitic acid and stearic acid, is the number of carbons in the chain, right? One thing you'll notice when you're, so there's basically this nomenclature for how we can describe the fatty acid. Uh, which is this, these two numbers separated by a colon. Okay? The first number is the number of carbons in the chain. So 12, 14, 16, 18. The second number is the number of double bonds in there. So when you have a zero here, this is a saturated fat. Right? There are no double bonds. You may have a one or a two, depending on the number of double bonds in this molecule. And typically, often, when you have a one or a two or in there, there will be also some nomenclature in there that will tell you which carbon the double bond is found at. Right? But for saturated fats, it's, it's moot. There are no double bonds, so it's just a zero. So that's kind of the way that we uh, basically call the number of carbons and number of double bonds in, uh, in a fatty acid. The other thing I want you to notice is that the number of carbons in the fatty acid always goes up by two. Right? There are some odd number ones, and we'll talk a little bit about that. But it's much, much more common to have an even number of carbons in the chain. And that's because carbons get added on to fatty acids, and they get taken off of fatty acids two at a time. And we'll talk about that this class. Right? But generally speaking, you do get, generally speaking, you, you, you most commonly find an even number of carbons in your fatty acid. As the number of carbons gets bigger and bigger, the melting point goes up and up and up. So um, when we talk about fats or lipids, we talk about um, you know, you can talk about olive oil, you can talk about butter, right? Some fats or 
fat-rich things are solids at room temperature, and some of them are, are liquids at room temperature. Okay? Saturated fats tend to be, uh, have higher melting temperatures, meaning at room temperature, they're a solid. Right? Whereas unsaturated fats, right, with some double bonds in them, tend to be, have lower melting temperatures. Okay? So that's why olive oil, which, has, which is not a saturated fat, will be an oil, a liquid, Whereas, so that was back, back here, this oleic acid, right? This is common in olive oil, um, I believe. It's certainly an oil. This will be uh, liquid at room temperature, whereas a saturated fat is more likely to be a solid at room temperature. And the longer the carbon chain, the higher the melting temperature, meaning the higher you have to heat it before it melts, okay? Until so you get up to these very long carbon chain um, fats where basically you have words that are the equivalent of wax, right? These are very kind of hardy, almost not meltable uh, fats, okay? So that's basically what I want to draw your attention to, this idea of um, the nomenclature, the, the numbering. I talked about that. The incremental increases in twos, right? Uh, the fact that as the carbon chains get longer, the melting point goes up, and the fact that saturated fats also have higher melting points than unsaturated fats. Okay. So the storage form of fats, you know, we talked about how fatty acids are the quote-unquote monomers. The storage forms of fats are called triacylglycerols. A triacylglycerol is a polymer of fatty acids in which three fatty acid molecules, three carboxylic acid-containing fatty acids, have been linked uh, to a glycerol molecule. So this is what glycerol looks, right, look, looks like, right? It's a three-carbon compound with three hydroxyls in it. Okay? And what happens is the carboxylic acid groups, you get this... Um, dehydration reaction between the carboxylic acid group of the fatty acid and the alcohol group of glycerol, and then you link these uh, fatty acids to the glycerol. So you get this kind of threamer of fatty acids linked to one glycerol molecule. Okay? You get this, we call this an esterification because you get this ester bond in here. And so this is basically the way that you're going to store fatty acids in your adipose tissue. Okay. This is an example in which they've taken a, a stearate fatty acid, a lino, linoleol fatty acid, and a palmitic fatty acid, and linked those three fatty acids to one molecule of glycerol. And so which the identity of the triacylglycerol is going to depend on which fatty acids are attached to it, but we're not going to worry so much about looking at something like this and naming it. Okay, I'm not going to worry about that so much. But you should understand that a triacylglycerol has three fatty acids linked to a glycerol molecule through these esters. Mm -hmm.
I agree with you. It makes sense that as the carbon chain gets longer and longer, the proportion of nonpolar gets bigger and bigger. And so then it makes sense that they become more and more insoluble in water. It's not clear to me then why it becomes also more and more insoluble in benzene. I don't know. But I expect some chemists could tell you. So linoleolic acid, presumably, is a known fatty acid that has double bonds in these spots. Linoleic acid is here? No, that's different. That's lignoceric acid. That's okay. Uh, I presume that this is one that you find in food. I mean, typically the ones that are commonly found are the ones that get common names. So I'm not sure. We could look it up. I'm curious now. Dietary sources of linoleic acid, linolenic acid, flax seeds, canola, soybeans, tofu, walnuts. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's good for you. Okay, so that's kind of what I want to get across for this, right? So that's how we uh, make triacylglycerols, we break them down using as, uh, amino, uh, enzymes called lipases. Okay? So this is your triacylglycerol. You're going to have to add back three waters across each of these bonds. You're going to re regenerate glycerol, and you're going to regenerate each of the fatty acids. R, R prime and R double prime just refer to the fact that these might be three different fatty acids. But they could be anything. It's a general scheme for how you're going to break them down. Um, why is that important? Well, we'll talk about that a little bit. How do we metabolize triacylglycerols? So uh, you're going to get your triacylglycerols from three sources. You're going to either eat them. You're going to build them up in the liver. Okay, so when the body makes new triacylglycerols, it's typically in the liver, or it is in the liver, or you store, you do need to rebuild triacylglycerols if you're storing them in adipose tissue. So basically the liver and adipose fat tissue is where the body makes triacylglycerols. Now, you may also eat them. You may eat triacylglycerols, okay? So we'll talk about those first. So how do we get triacylglycerols you eat into your, the rest of your body? So you're going to eat something that's a bit fatty, and it's going to go through your body, and there's gonna, it's going to go through your small intestine. The important kind of general rule that we're going to cover a few times in this slide and the next few is that you never move a triacylglycerol across a, across a cell membrane as a triacylglycerol. Whenever it goes across a cell membrane, it goes across a membrane as a fatty acid. Okay? 
So what that means is that if you're going to move the triglycerols out of the intestine and into the bloodstream, well, that's going to have to go across the cell membrane, right? The cells that line the intestine. So you've got these um, lipases. We talked about how this enzyme, the enzyme that does this reaction is a lipase. Okay? So you've got these lipases that are found in the, uh, these intestinal lipases in the intestinal mucosa. They're going to break the triglycerols down into fatty acids and they're going to move them now through the intestinal wall. And as they get put back into the bloodstream, they get built back into triacylglycerols, and they get complexed in these big kind of fat, cholesterol, protein-rich complexes called chylomicrons. Okay, so chylomicrons are these, it's this big ball of, number one, triacylglycerols, Number two, lipoproteins. These are proteins that bind to proteins that bind to fats, have high affinity for fats. And cholesterol, where I think you've come across cholesterol or the idea of what cholesterol is. And they get all put together in this big ball called a chylomicron. So a chylomicron is we, we this is a, 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 a fat transport or a triacylglycerol transport complex. Importantly, that goes from the intestine to the body, okay? And there are gonna be other transport complexes that go from other places to other places, but the one that goes from the intestine to the tissue is the chylomicron, okay? So the chylomicron is gonna now be in the bloodstream and it's gonna deliver those triglycerols into the tissue and now the idea is to get those triglycerols into a cell that's going to burn it or store it, okay? So when you get to that location in the body, you now need, again, to cross a membrane. You're going to go from the blood into the cells of where it's going to be used or stored. And so now you've got these lipases at that cell that are going to, again, break those triglycerols down into fatty acids. And those fatty acids are now, going to, again, going to be able to cross the cell membrane uh, and then use this fuel in that cell or they're going to be stored if it's an adipose tissue. Yeah. So that's interesting. So, so yeah, there's going to be a variety of fats that are coming through the diet. Um, and it's not clear to me that the body, quote unquote, knows how to assemble them best or, but it, your body's very good, and this is something we're gonna talk about in a few slides, your body's very good at taking pretty much whatever fatty acid it gets and burning it. That's fine. But when it makes fats, when a human makes its own fat, so if you eat too much sugar and you're making fat from that, you don't make this big smorgasbord of fatty acids. We only make one, do you know what I mean? But the ones that you get in your diet, I presume some, if you eat palm oil or olive oil or butter, there's going to be a variety of fats that are coming through, right? Um, and, and, and I'm not sure if there's a rule or a guide by which the body says, okay, I'm going to take this stearate and this lineolinic, you know, and put them together. You know, I don't know if, they do, if, that's, if that's decided in some way. 
Okay, so now we've basically moved fatty acids or triacylglycerols from the intestine to the cells. And we had to break them down into fatty acids twice to be able to do that. Yeah. Mm. I would argue, I would, to me, it is uh, at the cell surface. Um, so I don't, hmm. the way it's drawn, the lipoprotein lipase is in the blood vessel. So presumably that is how it goes out of the blood vessel as well as into the cell that's getting it. I guess, yeah. But the important thing being, I think, that whenever you're transporting it out of the intestine or out of the bloodstream, that doesn't happen as a triacylglycerol. That happens as a fatty acid. Okay. Okay, so we've got fatty acids now that are, say, entering through the cytoplasm of a muscle through the cell membrane. Fatty acids can diffuse through cell membranes. But we break them down. Okay, if we're going to use that fatty acid as fuel in a muscle cell, then that's going to happen in the mitochondria. Okay, so fatty acid catabolism, breakdown of fatty acid for fuel, happens in the mitochondria. So we need to get it from the cytoplasm. The, the fatty acid's in the cytoplasm of the muscle cell. That happened by diffusion. But we need to get that fatty acid into the mitochondria, and that does not happen by diffusion. We need to, get, we need to target that fatty acid to the mitochondria. So to do that, okay, to mark them for a breakdown and passage through the mitochondrial membrane, we need to basically tag them or, or activate them for passage. And the way we do that is through coenzyme A. So we've already come across coenzyme A. So we've got this fatty acyl-CoA synthetase. All right? uh, we have to first activate the enzyme by adenylating it. So we take an ATP and we cleave it at the bond between the alpha and the beta phosphate. And now we get this fatty acyl-CoA synthetase adenylate intermediate. Basically, the, the enzyme is uh, this, um, make sure I get this right. I'm not sure that it actually is a covalent intermediate. Hang on. For a fatty acyl adenylate NPV. So, so it's not clear to me that the, um, the enzyme becomes adenylated, sorry. But the point is that the fatty acid becomes adenylated. I am not, I don't think that there's an adenosine bound intermediate on the enzyme. But we're going to activate our fatty acid. Well, here's our fatty acid. It's got this carboxylic acid group. It's going to become activated by becoming effectively bound to AMP. And then we're going to swap that AMP for coenzyme A. Okay? And we make an acyl-CoA. So that is, so to speak, a fatty acid, right? say a 16-carbon fatty acid, with coenzyme A on the end. Right? This is very similar, chemically, I guess, to acetyl-CoA. You can imagine that acetyl-CoA is like a 2-carbon acyl-CoA, right? whereas a fatty acid may be a 16-carbon acyl-CoA, right? Instead of this two-carbon compound being bound to acetyl-CoA, we have a very long fatty acid that's bound to 
coins I made. Okay? But to do that, we had to burn an ATP to AMP. Okay? We first made an intermediate in which the fatty acid is linked to AMP. Okay? So there's the fatty acid and a phosphate and adenosine. And then we swap that AMP for coenzyme A. So it takes an ATP to do this. It takes an ATP. It takes an ATP to an AMP to do this, not an ATP to an ADP. Okay. And at the end of this, we have this acyl-CoA. And now this fatty acid is marked for transport into the mitochondria. And that happens through this carnitine, what we call this carnitine shuttle, or this carnitine uh, acyl transferase. So basically, here we have, uh, in the cytoplasm, we just made this acyl-CoA in the cytoplasm. That's now marked for import into the mitochondria. It doesn't happen directly. What happens is we take this acyl-CoA and we swap the coenzyme A for this molecule called carnitine. So now there's this carnitine fatty acid uh, complex or intermediate. And there's this carnitine acyl transferase 1 that uh, does that process. And then now there's this carnitine transporter, right? this acyl-carnitine carnitine translocase which will bring that acyl carnitine into the mitochondria. And then this carnitine acyl transferase 2 does the reverse reaction. It puts the coenzyme A back on. So you started with an acyl-CoA in the cytoplasm. You finished with an acyl-CoA in the matrix. But as it goes across the mitochondrial membrane, there's this acyl carnitine intermediate. And you have this carnitine acyl transferase enzyme 1 that does it on this side. And this carnitine acyl transferase 2, CPT2, on this side that swaps it back. Okay. So to get acyl-CoAs from the cytoplasm to the mitochondria, you need to go through this carnitine intermediate. And now we have an acyl-CoA in the cytoplasm. Sorry, in the matrix. Okay. So to break that fatty acid down, into fuel, okay? We're gonna, this is the catabolism of fatty acids. This is called the beta oxidation spiral, right? So if you remember, we had different types of, getting back to the first lecture of this section, we had linear pathways, that was glycolysis. We had a cyclic pathway, that was citric acid cycle. This is a spiral pathway. Because what's gonna happen is we're gonna do the same steps over and over and over but we're going to take two carbons off at a time of our fatty acid, right, until there's none left, until the fatty acid gets completely burned. And so there's kind of a, there is an end point to this reaction, which is why it's more of a spiral than a cycle. It, it eventually ends. If you, if you remember the picture on that slide, it looked more like a, like a, like a spiral, like it looks like, like water going down a toilet. It's going down and down and down. So the carbons from the acyl-CoA, they remove two carbons at a time. Each time you take two off, you make an acetyl-CoA. That will go into citric acid cycle. So this 16-carbon palmitic acid is going to become uh, eight acetyl-CoAs. And they, those eight acetyl-CoAs will go into citric acid cycle the same way we did acetyl-CoA in citric acid cycle for coming out of pyruvate. That's going to be 64 electrons that are going to go into NADH and FADH2, as well as 16 carbon dioxides. Right? So our 16 carbons of palmitic acid are going to become 16 carbon dioxides. 
the process of breaking down the two carbons at a time here, in addition to the NADH and the FADH2 you make in citric acid cycle, this process of breaking them down two at a time also makes NADH and FADH2. Okay? Those are going to go into the electron transport chain the same way as the NADH and FADH2 you make from citric acid cycle. Okay? So we've already talked about the generation of NADH and FADH2 over here. But we haven't talked about that generation of NADH and FADH2 over here also, here yet. So that's what we're going to talk about now. Okay. So you get NADH and FADH2 from the acetyl-CoA's that are made, and you also get NADH and FADH2 in the process of taking our two carbons off two at a time in the beta oxidation of this fatty acid. So this is kind of a breakdown of kind of what's happening there, okay? So this is another way to show the spiral, right? We've got a 16 carbon compound that becomes 14, that becomes 12, 10, 8, 6, 4, and finally you get acetyl-CoA. So every time you're doing this, you're splitting off an acetyl-CoA, right? As an example for this reaction, we're going to start with palmityl-CoA, okay? So this is a 16 carbon fatty acid. Right. Here's the CoA on the carboxylic acid end. All right. Here's your carbonyl here. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to uh, oxidize this and in so doing generate an FADH2 okay, to generate this enoyl CoA. Right. Then we're going to add a water across this. Okay. Then we're going to do another oxidation reaction in which we generate an NADH from an NAD. Okay. At this point, we've got basically this molecule that's got the coenzyme A, a carbonyl, a CH2, and then a second carbonyl. And then this acyl-CoA acyl acetyltransferase, it will come in, it will put a CoA here, and in so doing, split off this CH2, this carbonyl, and this S-CoA as acetyl-CoA. So you basically, you started with a palmitol CoA, you finish with a 14 carbon CoA, this new CoA comes in, and you basically have this chemically looks identical to what you, what you started with, except you're two carbons shorter, and you've split off a two carbon acetyl CoA. So it's an oxidation, a hydration, a second oxidation, and then you swap the CoA. So when we do this, we make an FADH2 in this step, we make an NADH in this step, and we add a water molecule. So in addition to all those NADHs and FADH2s we get from this acetyl-CoA going into citric acid cycle, we also get an NADH and an FADH2 here, okay? just in the process of splitting off those two carbons. So, I mean, that idea of keeping track of kind of these reduced electron carriers, that's, I would say that's an important thing to think about. Yeah. My understanding is for beta oxidation, it's always an FADH2, and then in a later step, an NADH. So there's a bit of synergy here, if you remember, from 
some reactions that we already covered in, oh, yeah. They're getting reduced. So we are, we are oxidizing our acyl-CoA. And in the process of oxidizing it, we are reducing our electron carriers. Yeah. So the carbon skeleton is getting oxidized, and the FAD and NAD plus are getting reduced. Someone's always getting reduced for someone that's getting oxidized. You just got to keep track of which is which. So this is what we just covered in beta oxidation, right? Uh, an oxidation of our acyl-CoA and a reduction of FADH, FAD and FADH2, and then a hydration and then a oxidation of our uh, carbon skeleton here, and then reduction of NAD plus and NADH. This is what we just talked about. This is chemically the same thing that we did in citric acid cycle, going from succinyl-CoA to fumarate, fumarate to malate, and then malate to oxaloacetate. Okay? So there's some parallels here to what's happening. It's a oxidation that generates an, NA, an FADH2, a hydration to break this double bond, to add some things across this double bond, and then a subsequent, another oxidation to generate an NADH. Okay. We didn't cover this, so don't worry about this. Okay. But there's a similar order of reactions of what's happening in these, this beta oxidation as to what the way you're getting FADH2 and NADH in beta oxidation is identical, kind of chemically speaking, in, in, in reaction, is identical to the way you get FADH2 and NADH in this portion of citric acid cycle. And so if we're adding up the number of ATP we're going to get, or the, for the FADH and NADH we're going to get from beta oxidation uh, from a palmitol CoA. So a palmitol CoA has 16 carbons in it, right? These ones from here down, so starting on isocitrate dehydrogenase down, these are all the NADH and FADH2 that you're making from the acetyl-CoA's, the eight acetyl-CoA's that you make from citric acid cycle. Okay, so remember we're going to make, for a 16-carbon compound, we're going to make eight acetyl-CoA's, and those eight acetyl-CoA's are going to make eight NADH's at this step of citric acid cycle, eight NADH's at this step of citric acid cycle, etc. Okay? We're also going to make, you know, in the beta-oxidation step, we're breaking down those two carbons from, uh, from palmitic acid, we're taking off those two carbons two at a time, we have this acyl-CoA dehydrogenase, this was this enzyme, we make FADH there, there's this beta-hydroxyacyl-CoA dehydrogenase, these are both dehydrogenases, right, they are doing redox reactions, we're going to make seven NADHs there, okay, why do you make seven and not eight? Well, it's, it's the, they're between the, if you've got eight units of things that are being broken down, and it, how many units are between them? 
it would be 7, right? It's like when you say, uh, how many nights are in a, how many, you know, Saturday to Saturday, there's, yeah, there's 7 days, but there's 6 nights, right? Um, and so, when you add up all these NADHs and FADHs and convert them into ATP that we talked about during the oxidative phosphorylation section, you're going to get about 108 ATPs out of one fatty acid. So that just goes to show a little bit how much energy there is in one fatty acid. A lot. Now it does happen, I talked that it's rare, but it does happen that you have some fatty acids that have an odd number just to make life difficult. This is not going to be a fatty acid that you synthesize in your own body. When we make fatty acids, they're always even-numbered ones. But there are some organisms out there that, for whatever reason, do generate odd-number fatty acids. And if you eat that, you need a way to basically metabolize it, right? Um, I'm not going to worry. I don't think you should understand so much about... I think you should understand this at the level I'm going to explain it right now. Okay, I'm not going to really get into names of enzymes or structures. You should understand first that if you've got an odd number of fatty acids in like carbon-15 or carbon-17 fatty acid, if you take them off two at a time, at the, eventually you're going to have a three-carbon fatty acid, right? You know, 15 is going to become 13, 11, 9, 7, 5, 3. That's the point at which we're going to deal. The, the, the odd chain fatty acid is, dealt, is, is treated identically to the even ones until it gets down to three. Okay. So what you're going to end up with is, instead of acetyl-CoA, you're going to have propionyl-CoA or propionyl-CoA, this three-carbon fatty acid with a CoA on it. Okay. So how do we deal with that? We can't really split off uh, the... I mean, at least it hasn't evolved to be able to split off acetyl-CoA from this and get basically a one-carbon-CoA. Instead, what happens is there's an enzyme that uses a biotin and a carbonate ion. All right, so basically this is... Uh, we've talked about carbon-adding enzymes before, right? These enzymes that take CO2, or in this case, carbonate, and add carbons to things. And those enzymes typically need biotin. And this is no exception. So uh, this biotin-using use, enzyme is going to take carbonate and it's going to burn an ATP to change, to change this three-carbon compound, this three-carbon CoA, into a four-carbon CoA. Right? This four-carbon CoA uh, is going to get then eventually converted into succinyl-CoA. Okay? So we're going to go from a three-carbon CoA into a four-carbon CoA and the four-carbon CoA is going to be eventually metabolized or converted by these enzymes into succinyl-CoA. Right? And succinyl-CoA we've already come across. Now it's easy to metabolize that. That's an intermediate of Krebs cycle, right? citric acid cycle. The other thing I want to point out is that the, you need a coenzyme to do these last steps of converting this four-carbon methylmalonyl-CoA into succinyl-CoA, and the coenzyme you need to do that is vitamin B12. This is why you need B12 in your diet. You don't need a lot of B12 in your diet. You need very, very little. But you do need vitamin B12 to be able to do this. Vitamin B12 is a really weird enzyme, a really weird coenzyme, a really weird 
vitamin or cofactor. Um, it looks like heme. This is just kind of interesting for you. Uh, people didn't understand why you needed uh, vitamin B12. I think until like the 40s or 50s, uh, people would get this condition called pernicious anemia, uh, in which people would start becoming anemic, and it was fatal. And that could either be because of a deficiency of vitamin B12 in the diet, or a deficiency in the ability to absorb vitamin B12 in the intestine. Uh, and so people started figuring out eventually that there was this factor that you could, you could supplement people with vitamin B12, you could inject it into them, and that would get over it, because then you bypass the absorption issue. Or you could supply people with the absorption protein. So there's actually a protein that gets excreted into the intestine to bind vitamin B12 and then bring it into, this, into the body. People figured out that you could take like raw hamburger, mix it up, uh, have someone basically uh, eat raw hamburger, regurgitate it, give that to the patient, and then basically the vitamin B12 that was absorbed by the person that doesn't have the deficiency, that would now allow for the patient to absorb that vitamin B12 into them. It's pretty neat. You can look it up on Wikipedia if you want. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. So people, now, now, now we understand much better what's lacking and what, how this works. So people can get vitamin B12 injected if they have that deficiency or, you know, your multivitamin has lots of it. You need very little. The other interesting thing about vitamin B12, it looks like heme, but instead of iron in the middle, it's got cobalt. It's got a cobalt metal ion in it, which is why we need trace amounts of cobalt in our diet. So you need vitamin B12 to do, to do this, to metabolize odd chain fatty acids. Okay. So now we're going to move from kind of beta oxidation, that is fatty acid breakdown, into fatty acid synthesis. Okay. So this is kind of what we've already talked about, this fatty acyl-CoA, which is imported into the mitochondria using this carnitine transport mechanism. And now you've got this fatty acyl carnitine, which gets swapped back into a fatty acyl CoA, and we go through beta oxidation, and we make acetyl CoA. Okay. Now, what you may want to do if you're replete with, uh, if this is, a, if this is a, uh, the liver or a, um, sorry, if this is a if in the liver, if you want to, if you've got lots of food already, and you don't want to burn fatty acids, you want to make fatty acids, okay? So you've got high blood, if you've got high blood glucose, all right, if you have high blood glucose, because you just ate a lot, that's going to mean high insulin, okay? Low blood glucose, we already talked about this a little bit, would mean high uh, glucagon, that's the hormone for you're hungry, okay? Uh, if we're going to make fatty acids, all right, the substrate for making fatty acids, you might think, would be acetyl-CoA, and in a way you're right, but it's not directly acetyl-CoA, it's malonyl-CoA. Malonyl-CoA is a three-carbon version of acetyl-CoA. It's not the same thing as propionyl-CoA, okay? But it is also a three-carbon, uh, basically acetyl-CoA, right? To convert acetyl-CoA into malonyl-CoA, there's this enzyme 
here called this um, sorry, this acetyl-CoA carboxylase. Okay, so we're going to take our two-carbon acetyl-CoA and we're going to convert it to a malonyl-CoA. And this ACC enzyme that does this, it is basically activated by insulin. All right, so there's an enzyme that will phosphorylate uh, this. Remember we talked about PKA, this starvation uh, kinase. Uh, glucagon, cyclic AMP, PKA will phosphorylate this enzyme and inactivate it in response to low glucose. In high glucose, that phosphoryl group gets removed, and now ACC is activated, and now we're going to convert acetyl-CoA into malonyl-CoA. So the take-home message kind of a little bit is when you're full, when you've got lots of energy, when your high blood glucose is high, that is the time to make fat, right? And so when blood glucose blood glucose levels are high, this enzyme will be on, you're going to convert acetyl-CoA into malonyl-CoA, that's going to do two things. Number one, it's going to that get converted into fatty acids. Number two, it's going to inhibit this carnitine acyl transferase that's moving fatty acyl-CoA into the mitochondria to burn it. Right? If you're making fatty acids, it doesn't make sense to burn them at the same time. Okay? So the malonyl-CoA will inhibit this process and then get synthesized into fatty acids. Okay. So we'll talk a little bit more about this malonyl-CoA in a second. All right. It's made by this enzyme acetyl-CoA carboxylase. Okay. Like the previous examples, we're turning a two-carbon compound into a three-carbon compound. That for, therefore, this enzyme needs biotin. So we've got this basically this biotin arm that's found in this enzyme. Okay, uh, so this is what biotin looks like, right? It, what's going to happen is it's going to take a, a carbonate and it's going to burn an ATP to do this. And this biotin uh, cofactor is going to be covalently bound to basically this carboxylic acid group. Okay, that carboxylic acid group is going to get added to acetyl-CoA, this two-carbon acetyl-CoA, to make malonyl-CoA. Okay, so this is just a little bit of a zoom in on kind of what biotin's doing. It becomes covalently linked to this, in this case, this carbonate ion, and you make this uh, carboxylic acid type group attached to the biotin, and then biotin will swap then that uh, carboxylic acid group onto your, in this case, two-carbon compound to make a three-carbon compound. Okay? This is malonyl-CoA, this three-carbon malonyl-CoA. And you need, to do, you need an ATP to do that. So this is our substrate for the majority of fatty acid synthesis. Okay. Fatty acid synthesis is done by this beautiful, amazing complex called fatty acid synthase. Okay. It actually looks, so in bacteria, when they make fats, so there's many different, remember beta oxidation, we did all those steps. There was the, uh, there was the oxidation, and then the hydration, and then the second oxidation, and then the CoA transferase. So there's multiple enzymatic steps done there. We're, going to, we're basically going to do the reverse to make a fatty acid. All right? Instead of oxidizing, and then uh, hydrating, and then oxidizing, we're going to reduce and hydrate and reduce. We're going to just go backwards. Right? And so for beta oxidation, where we needed 
a source of electron carriers to take off those electrons as we oxidize. If we're going to reduce now, we're going to make fatty acids, we need a source of electrons, right? We need to have a reduced electron carrier that's going to become oxidized, and we're going to put those electrons onto acetyl-CoA to make, remember acetyl-CoA's got, right? Acetyl-CoA comes from basically pyruvate. It's got bonds to oxygen in it. But a fatty acid has no bonds to oxygen in it. We need to reduce that to make a fatty acid. So we need a source of electrons. We'll talk about that in a second. The thing I want to point out here is all those enzymatic steps that were done in beta oxidation, we're going to do the reverse of them. In bacteria, they are done by different enzymes. Okay, all those different steps, the different reductions, etc., are all done by different enzymes. But in eukaryotes, it's done by this huge complex called fatty acid synthase. They've, uh, this is the way it looks in yeast. This is the way it looks in humans. Yeast has, uh, this is a heterododecamer, meaning hetero, meaning more than one type of subunit, right? Dodecamer meaning 12. Okay, so there's 12 alpha subunits, sorry, six alpha subunits and six beta subunits, right? So they together make 12, and when you put it all together, it looks like this. Um, the, alpha, the human fatty acid synthase is a homodimer, right? One type of subunit, and there's two of them, alpha-2. It's just a homodimer. But in both cases, what happens is all those different enzymatic reactions that need to be done to make a fatty acid are concentrated in one huge mega complex so that when you do step one, that intermediate does not need to float away and find the next enzyme in the chain to do step two. What happens instead, and uh, this is one of the neat features of, of fatty acid synthesis, remember we had in, in beta oxidation, we had these CoA's, right? Palmodal CoA, which then got taken off, and then you take off acetyl-CoA. For fatty acid synthesis, instead of CoA, you've got this acyl carrier protein. It's a protein that's in the fatty acid synthase with a coenzyme A on the end. And what happens is your growing fatty acid chain gets linked to that acyl carrier protein, this protein that has a coenzyme A covalently linked to it. Think of it like kind of the arm of a crane, right? It's basically got this long bit with a coenzyme A on the end, and we're going to link our growing fatty acid on the end of it, and it's going to hold that growing fatty acid on the end and move it around, move it around the different reaction centers of, say, this fatty acid synthase to do all the different chemical reactions that need to be done without it ever floating off, okay? And that's the way that you can build a big fatty acid from small pieces, right? It's easy to take a 16-carbon thing and break it down into two-carbon things and let them float off. But how do you take a two-carbon thing and build it up into a 16-carbon thing? You've got to kind of hang on to it, right? So this is um, one of the diagrams for that. It's, it's, again, a bit complex, and I want you to kind of focus on that which I kind of cover talking about it, all right? The cartoon has various different, uh, you know, ER, DH, KR. 
these all refer to different kind of enzymatic activities in this big complex, KS, ER, D. These are all different parts of the complex that do different chemical reactions in the synthesis of a fatty acid. I don't want you to memorize KSE's beta ketoacyl synthase. I want you to just understand that in the complex, there are many reaction centers to do the different enzymatic steps. Okay? We already talked about this. We make malonyl, the substrate is malonyl-CoA. We make that from acetyl-CoA, carbon dioxide, and ATB by this acetyl-CoA carboxylase. This is not part of FAST, right? This is not, this happened over here, right? We make this acetyl-CoA carboxylase we make malonyl-CoA not on fatty acid synthase, right? Fatty acid synthase takes malonyl-CoA and makes fatty acids out of it, okay? And we talked about, two slides ago, how this synthesis of malonyl-CoA from acetyl-CoA, this enzyme needs biotin, right? It's a, it's a, it's a carbon-adding enzyme, okay? So, again, there's a lot of steps in here that I don't want you to memorize. Okay, but I do want you to take away a few things from it. Okay, first, number one. The first two carbons that get put on do not get put on as malonyl-CoA. The first two that get put on is just acetyl-CoA. Right? And they get put on to a cysteine in fatty acid synthase that's not this acyl carrier protein, this part that looks like coenzyme A. We put the first two carbons as acetyl-CoA onto the fatty acid enzyme, and, and the part of the enzyme that, that catches it is this, um, I want to say it's this KS center. Yeah, it's this KS center, okay? That's how the first two get put on, okay? And then after that, so what's going to happen is this ACP, this acyl carrier protein that has this coenzyme A on it, the uh, malonyl-CoA is, after the first two, the next two all come on as malonyl-CoA, all right? And what's going to happen is the malonyl-CoA will get joined to the two that were on the acetyl-CoA, and at the end of this, now you've got this four-carbon compound, the two that came from the first acetyl-CoA, and the two get that were retained from the malonyl-CoA, you split off a carbon dioxide when you put it on, right? When you put the malonyl-CoA on, remember, we put them on two at a time. So we put on a carbon dioxide to make malonyl-CoA, and as we add the malonyl-CoA to fatty acid synthase, the carbon dioxide comes off again. So now we've got this acyl carrier protein that has four carbons on it. And basically what we're doing now is reduce, we're doing the opposite of beta-oxidation. We're going to reduce it, right? And we're going to dehydrate it. Whereas before, we oxidized and hydrated. Remember, before we were uh, oxidizing our carbon skeleton and reducing our cofactors. Now we're reducing our carbon skeleton and oxidizing our cofactors. So we need a source of electrons. And if you remember, when you need to put electrons on, it's not NADH or FADH2, it's NADPH. Our source of electrons to reduce things is NADPH. So this is one of the reasons you need NADPH in the cell, is to make fats. So whereas before we used NAD to take electrons and make NADH, now we're going to take NADPH and pull those electrons off and make NADP, and in so doing, reduce our carbon skeleton. 
Okay? And so there's various steps here. It's basically the backwards of beta oxidation. A reduction, a dehydration, a second reduction. And now we've got basically this, what looks like a fatty acid. Okay? It's basically, we've taken now this, we started with basically this two carbon group that was bound to oxygen. This two carbon group is now completely reduced. Right? So we've got this four carbon compound that's linked. It gets put back on that cysteine in the KS, and now it's ready to take on a second new malonal CoA. As the next malonal CoA comes in, a carbon dioxide is going to be split off, and the next two carbons are going to be added from this four carbon. The new two carbons is going to be added to this acyl carrier protein again, and that's going to be swung around the fatty acid synthase for the next round. Again, reduction, dehydration, reduction, and now you're going to have a six carbon compound here, which is ready for the next two carbons to come in from malonal CoA. Okay. So in the first cycle, an acetyl group from acetyl CoA is covalently linked to a cysteine in KS, and then that's later joined to the malonal group later put on by ACP, and then we're going to be doing reductions with an ADPH. So the first two carbons that get put on is acetyl-CoA, and then after that it's malonyl-CoA. This is just to show you kind of the difference between acyl carrier protein and coenzyme A. We already talked about coenzyme A, right? It's this phosphopentathene group linked to this adenosine. Acyl carrier protein, it's the same group, but it's linked to a protein, right? Instead of it linked to being adenosine, it's linked to a protein. It's the, it's this protein that acts like kind of this crane. It's got this serine on it that we've linked this, uh, the same group that you find in coenzyme A. We've linked it to this protein. Okay. This is just another kind of version of the same thing I just showed. Okay. Uh, we're going to have this ACC enzyme that's going to convert acetyl-CoA to malonyl-CoA. All right, it's going to burn an ATP, and it's going to put on a carbon dioxide to do that. Now we've got this. That gets put onto the ACP, right? this malonal ACP, on the fatty acid synthase. The first two carbons that get put on, they, they occur as uh, acetyl-CoA, and they get put on to this KS center of this enzyme. And then we're going to go through this. We're going to um, we're going to oxidize an NADPH into an NADP. We're going to dehydrate, oxidize another NADPH to NADP. And then we have basically our reduced four carbon compound that's now capable of going through subsequent further elongation cycles to eventually split off. And what's eventually going to come off is palmitic acid. Okay. In the case of yeast, it comes off as palmitate CoA or palmitol CoA. In humans, it comes off as, as the fatty acid. That's just shown again uh, here, just kind of again comparing the different. So here's fatty acid beta oxidation. Here's fatty acid synthesis. And again, it's just drawn to kind of basically uh, highlight the differences. Beta oxidation is going to occur in the mitochondria. Fatty acid synthesis is going to occur in the cytoplasm. Okay. Uh, fatty acid oxidation involves 
the, sub, the gradual uh, oxidation of our carbon skeleton to make FADH2 and to make NADH. There's also a hydration reaction in here. Fatty acid synthesis, on the other hand, we're going to use, we're going to reduce our carbon skeleton using NADPH instead. And instead of this hydration reaction, there's going to be de a dehydration reaction. So the reactions are largely backwards of one another. Okay? It's a question of which electron carrier you're using. Which electron carrier you're using depends on whether you're reducing things or oxidizing things. In, in humans and in yeast, the fatty acids that we make are, are palmitic acid, palmitate. That's not 100% true, uh, but for the purpose of the course, we're going to say it's true. Okay. Generally, fatty acid synthase makes palmitic acid, 16 carbons. So that's why if you've got non-16 carbon fatty acids in your body, it's because you ate them. Right? If you're making fatty acids in your body, fatty acids that you're making for the purpose of storage, those will be palmitic acids. So we talked about how fatty acid biosynthesis takes place in the cytoplasm, right? But acetyl-CoA we generally make in the mitochondria. So we need to get acetyl-CoA from the mitochondria to the cytoplasm. Before, we talked, about, we talked about a previous shuttle, right? We talked about the NADH shuttle to get NADH in the cytoplasm into the mitochondria. That was the malate aspartate shuttle. We need a different shuttle to get acetyl-CoA in the mitochondria out to the cytoplasm where we're going to build fatty acids. Okay. So here's the matrix of the mitochondria. Here's acetyl-CoA. We're going to take the two carbons of acetyl-CoA, take off the CoA, and take those two carbons of acetyl-CoA, add them to oxaloacetate, and make citrate. That's the first step, basically, of, uh, well, if this was coming from pyruvate. Uh, sorry, no, that's right. This is basically the first step of citric acid cycle. So you've got citrate. Citrate can go into citric acid cycle, or it can be transported into the cytoplasm, where you basically regenerate the acetyl-CoA. You burn an ATP to do that. You regenerate acetyl-CoA and oxaloacetate. We already talked about one way to get oxaloacetate into the cytoplasm. We can convert it to malate and use the malate aspartate shuttle. The malate will go back into the matrix, regenerate oxaloacetate. In so doing, we're going to move an NADH basically from the cytoplasm into the mitochondria. So this is very similar to what we talked about before. Depending on the needs of the cell, there are other ways to do this. We can take malate and not use the malate aspartate shuttle. Instead, we can decarboxylate malate into pyruvate, okay. move pyruvate across the mitochondrial membrane, and then regenerate um, oxaloacetate using this pyruvate carboxylase, right? which is similar to what we covered for gluconeogenesis. So there's, this is the general way that we get our CoA across the mitochondrial membrane. We take the two carbons from the CoA, convert it to citrate, move it into the cytoplasm, and regenerate. So we take the two carbons off of citrate and regenerate acetyl-CoA. We burn an ATP to do it. Reconvert back into oxaloacetate, oxaloacetate to malate. We already covered the malate aspartate shuttle. Alternatively, you can decarboxylate malate into pyruvate, move that across, and recarboxylate it. So CoA going from the mitochondrial matrix to the cytoplasm goes through this citrate transporter.
Okay, last thing is, is kind of these ways that we transport lipids in blood. We already talked about chylomicrons. These are the ones that transport triacylglycerols from the intestine to the tissue, right? There are other times you make and break down fatty acids, right? So if you make fatty acids in the liver, triacylglycerols in the liver, and you want to deliver that to the adipose tissue, well, they get complexed also into kind of these protein lipid complexes. Uh, the ones that go from uh, the liver to the tissue for triacylglycerols are the, called these very low density lipoproteins or VLDLs. Okay. If you're transporting cholesterol from the liver to the tissue, they get cholesterol, the, the major cholesterol carrier is this LDL or low density lipoproteins. And then if you're picking up cholesterol and moving it from the tissue to the liver, they get put in these other complexes called these HDLs, or high-density lipoprotein complexes. And these have become famous in the last few years because we associate them with basically your cholesterol count, right? If you've got a lot of cholesterol going from the liver to the tissue, that's bad. That means you've got too much cholesterol in your diet, okay? Whereas if you're basically moving cholesterol from the tissue to the liver, going the other way, then you've got, that's said to be kind of your, your cholesterol stores are lower, you're kind of moving it the other way, then you've got, you're going to have higher amounts of this HDL. And so your HDL-LDL ratio is going to be, if you go to your doctor and you get a, a, some blood work done, they're going to look at these numbers and say whether your cholesterol is high or low. Does that make sense? All right.